Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I am joined by... Andy Gramuka. Colin Ashley. Emilio Diaz. So today we are going to be finishing up our top 10 movies of the decade with our numbers 5 through 1 picks. Everyone's been waiting on Tinderhooks all week long, I'm sure. Yep. I think the news segment may be officially on pandemic hiatus. Well, I think... Do they not uh, fully cancel can now? Well, they officially postponed so. it, at least. Right, they postponed, postponed it, right, it. yes. Well. Although without specific dates, just like late June, I think, is what they're saying? Yeah. Which, we'll see. Mm, to summer in can. Colin, you still going to apply to the young, uh, yet the three days in can program, or no? Uh, I mean, I don't know if the application window is still open, mm. but... Uh, We'll see. I'm still holding the hope that they'll just invite me. Right. <laughs> they'll catch wind of the podcast. Uh huh. Yeah. So, how do we feel about order? I feel somewhat strongly about going last this time. I think that my number one pick's gonna take the wind out of everyone else's sails. Oh boy. So, you wanna end on a down note? No, not that kind of down note. I think everyone's just gonna, I think Andy's going to be so mad that it's going to be hard to keep go going. In, uh, like reverse introduction order? Re- well, I mean, we can do reverse from last time, which was... Sure. Which would be Emilio, then me, then Cullen, then Jesse. I'm fine with Sure, that. let's do that. Emilio, All right, then. Emilio, you ready with your, with your five? Yeah, sure. Uh... Um, with my number five, I'm going to pick Bertrand Bonello's Nocturama. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, That's a good pick. Yeah, it's a French movie, 2016, about a couple of terrorist kids hanging out in a mall, and it's very fun. It's uh, It does the thing that I very much like in movies that I think uh, Sofia Coppola is very good at this, where it, it kind the camera just kind of acts like it's a nature documentary about these people, like... The POV is kind of aimless, and it just kind of shows you who these people are. Like, there isn't a plot as much as there are a sequence of events happening that are Mm -hmm. just... And you just really feel for these kids and their struggles and how lost they are within the terrible thing that they're doing. And just how unaware they are of the things that are happening, how they're scared, how they're pumped up by the idea of it, how they're... How it makes them feel alive, how it makes them feel horny, how it makes them feel cool. And it's, I don't know, I just really like it from the needle drops to the cinematography to the performances. I think it's top to down pretty stellar. And I watched, when I watched it for the first time, I was pretty blown away from the, by everything about it. In particular, how brutal the ending is. Yeah, yeah I think with that ending specifically... The way it uses sound and editing to build tension and terror is, like, the best I have ever seen that done in a movie, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I'm, like, a big sucker for needle drops, and that movie has some great ones. Sure. It's also good at that. In general, I really like the sort of... It has very much a three-part structure where there's that kind of... There's a kind of 
terrifying ending, and then in the middle, you've got them hanging out in a mall, uh, trying to hide, and then the first segment is just very procedural of them executing the attack. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, it later in your mind what sticks with you a lot is, like, the middle and the ending, because those are very particular and very memorable, but the, I mean, just as a feat of filmmaking, the pretty, like, silent, in terms of dialogue beginning, that's, like, a solid, like, 20 minutes, half an hour of them just, like, silent, you silently learning what they're doing, and it's, like, bomb, this bombing attack is very, it's, like, pretty bravura, it's just an excellent movie all around from execution to performances to sound to everything. Yeah, uh, Bertrand Bonello, uh, one of his other movies from the decade, uh, House of Pleasures, also very good. Yes, good filmmaking makes a lot Bertie of good. Yes, Double his D. new movie is out on uh, VOD now. It premiered at Cannes and Directors Fortnight last year. We we saw it at TIFF, and I think all have more mixed feelings on it that being zombie child yeah i think that's a movie where a lot of parts of it i feel very good about and other parts of it i am less enthused but i think the stuff that works is very memorable in a way that i found in the same way that i found nakarama very memorable he's a very good filmmaker yeah, it's grown on me a little bit. Yeah, it has grown on me. I haven't seen any of his other movies. That was the Zombie Child was the first because I seen. I was not super hot on it coming out, and it has grown a little bit for me over over time on, upon reflection. Yes. I Is there also... a really loud bird outside someone's house? Uh, yes, outside of mine. I live in an island. All right. Well, there's just there, yeah. <laughs> there's gonna be a bird. I don't know why I said that. There's nothing we can do right. about it. Yeah. Hard to record around the schedule when Emilio is constantly on island time. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> I am wearing a Hawaiian shirt right now. Hey yo. Wasted away again. Yep. Sipping on a mai tai. <laughs> bird whistling <laughs> cheeseburger in paradise. <laughs> Andy, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. sorry. You have a well. Speaking of, speaking of islands, this is quite fortuitous because uh, my <laughs> <laughs> what you is this? A, are you uh, just laughing at my vocabulary, Colin? No, uh, yeah, okay, I should offer the disclaimer that it's like late at night for me. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> so I might uh, <laughs> I might be a little loopy. <laughs> Sure. Um, so everyone get excited for Cullen to pick, I don't know, uh, airplane somehow to be in his top ten. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, my Looper. number... The joke was right there. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're, you're smarter and funnier than me, Emilio. Um, number five. Um, the, the, a movie that is largely set on an island and also on a boat uh, in between islands... Uh, it is from 2016, uh, Ron Clements and John Musker's Moana. Um, uh, it's, which is my favorite animated movie of the last decade. I think it's sort of perfectly constructed and very well considered in terms of just the amount of thematic material they're able to put into, uh, what is a, a fairly standard Disney uh, princessy. She's not actually a princess. She's the daughter of the uh, chief of the island. 
Uh, but it's it's the it's that classic like format and structure that they that they have. Um, but I think they do a lot of really good, interesting stuff with it. I think the songs, um, not only by Lin Manuel Miranda, but also by um, Mark Mancina and Opataya Fawai, um, are so good and they're so well built into the story. And unlike a lot of Disney movie music, animated musicals, where like there's like four or five songs in like the first act or two, and then like there's nothing by the time you get to the third act, I think the way that they use songs throughout the entirety of Moana is so perfect. And just, the, they're, you know, listen, I'm a simple man. You give me a reprise of previous themes to show that things have changed, I will cry at your movie. Like, that's all I need is, like, a, a, a musical reprise of a song where where there's some shift to show that there is a, it has been a change that has taken place. And there is a hell of one in Moana when she sings I Am Moana at the end, I burst into tears and cry. Uh, it is so powerful and so beautiful, and I, I love um, how that story is, is just uh, told musically and visually. Um, the, the effects in this one, the water is so mind-boggling as to how they animated it. Um, it's probably the only Dwayne Johnson performance I've ever liked. Um, wow. uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a total blast. It's so moving and, and, and beautiful to look at and everything. Uh, I love it so much. Uh, Moana is my number five. If we, we haven't talked about if we're going to post a poll of whose list best, I'm going to say maybe we don't so no one's feelings get hurt, but, uh, I'm speaking of my feelings to be clear, but if we do, uh, I think Andy has just won my mom's vote. <laughs> my mom is always trying to get us to watch Moana. It's a, a be- it's a beautiful, perfect movie that you should watch. A movie I've never well, seen. <laughs> I have also not seen. It's yeah, guys, she's Moana, and she has to go take the heart of the ocean and go on a journey to find where she belongs. And she, oh my god, it's so beautiful. Isn't the, wait, isn't the heart of the ocean from Titanic? Or, yeah, it's, I, I forget what she, it's, it's actually called. It's something like that. <laughs> it's, it's a similar, like, rock. She has, like, a rock that is important. Um, that, that allows her to, like, that shows that the ocean has, like, chosen her and that she can communicate with the ocean. Um, yeah. Well, you heard it here first, Jimmy Cameron. Now that you're under the Disney umbrella, yeah. maybe take a break from those avatars and make the uh, Moana Titanic crossover. Moana's going to sink the Titanic. <laughs> anyway, in conclusion, consider the coconut. Watch Moana. Colin? So with my number five pick, I'm going to go with Hong Sang Su's Right Now, Wrong Then. It, uh, I remember watching it for the first time last year. I was trying to do like a bunch of sort of catch up for um, 2010s movies that I had missed. Um, and this like Hong Sang Su was a guy who I like had heard about a lot but had not seen anything. And uh, I it, it wasn't the first one I watched, but uh, I watched um, The Day He Arrives first. Um, but then I watched Right Now Wrong Then, and it, it like hit me so hard and I was like this is uh what like movies are and it was like so exciting to me uh and I for like a time last year it like if you asked me it would have probably been my number one of the decade and uh like after reevaluating some things that I hadn't seen in a while 
uh, it kind of gets shuffled around. And I started watching it today, and it was kind of um, I was kind of like nervous that I wasn't gonna like it as much, <laughs> like maybe like weird expectations put on it. And then as it like went on, I just remembered like how much I loved it. And it's just a movie. Uh, if you don't know, it's a movie about a director who goes to this uh, sort of small town in Korea uh, to give a lecture. And um, when he's there, he meets this woman who he, like, sort of strikes up a relationship with. Uh, he's Because he's only there for, like, a day. And they're talking. Uh, and they, like, go to a coffee shop. And she's a painter. So then they go to, like, her her studio. And, like, things are sort of, like, kind of rocky. He's kind of, like, awkward with her. Um, then they go to a bar and sort of, like, uh, they, like, are just this sort of burgeoning romance and it's like kind of uh, cringy is like a basic word to use, but that's like kind of what it is like mining. Um, and then they go to her friend's house for like a dinner. And uh, one of her friends is sort of like cutting him down. And like he gives this, someone's talking about one of his movies and he gives this answer. And the friend's like, you give that answer a lot. I've seen like an interview where you give that answer. And, and it's like, oh, this is like awkward. And then someone's like, uh don't you uh like have a lot of flirtations with women and he's like you know people say that there's like rumors like a lot of people talk to a lot of people and then they're like uh someone's sort of like chiming as like i think men and women can just be friends and like the lead actress kim and he who we've talked about on the podcast before uh she's in the handmaiden also she's kind of like um defending the guy the director and then someone's like aren't you uh married though and he's like well yeah of course i'm married and it is just sort of this like shattering thing that happens in the middle of the movie and the movie resets like title card again and you sort of see all the same situations that happened already but happened a different way and it is so damn good i just love it so much <laughs> Did you and, just, uh, like, knock your microphone on the ground? No, that was not me. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Um, yeah, this... this is, I'm in kind of a similar boat with this as I was with uh, Let the Sun Shine In last week, and that it was kind of an early Hong Sang-soo movie but for in my journey of watching him, and I didn't really, like, get his thing until... I believe the next movie I watched, which was On the Beach at Night Alone. But yeah, I'd like to see this again. Yeah. I'm with, uh... Colin, it's an incredibly cute, well-executed, very nice, formally executed kind of romantic comedy, and it's very nice to see one of those. Yeah. And, like, uh... I don't want to spoil, like, the second half what happens in it, because it's, like kind of interesting to like know the first half going in and know that there's a split uh but this is also sort of like a coronation of sorts of like so many hong sing Su movies that i've seen now that i like on the beach at night alone um grass i really liked a lot claire's care i think is really good this is like the one that sort of sold me on him so it's the one i'm like pushing my weight behind as like I have a, like a few more directors like that on my list and movies of theirs that like this is the one that I want to like pinpoint. But he just gets so much great work and uh, there's I think this is like the 27th movie he's made. So there's like a lot that I still need to go through. Um, and it's like a longer one for him. He usually makes these like taut like 70, 80 minute movies. 
and this one's a, like two hours, so it's almost like these two movies as one part. Uh, but it's just yeah, really well executed. Kim and he is one of my favorite <laughs> actors. She's so good in it. Um, and then uh, yeah, I just love it so much. Yeah. All right, that takes it to me and my number five pick, which is Carol by Todd Haynes. Uh, unfortunately, this is a movie I haven't seen in a little while, so kind of just going off like, yeah, I, I <laughs> love this movie a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think Rooney Mara in it is probably my favorite performance of the decade. I think Todd Haynes is like a top five working director, as we said when we named Dark Waters, the best movie of 2019. Yeah, I don't know a lot to say about this. I've got a lot more to say about the next movies on my list. Carol's great. There's, you know, yeah, Carol's great. Carol's great. Got a character named Harge in it. How can you not love it? Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good-looking movie, I remember. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. It looks great. The Ed Lockman cinematography, the Carter Burwell score oh, is yeah. phenomenal. All that snow. The costuming is obviously excellent. Yeah. For the both of them. Old Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Like all of the all basically every element of this movie is perfect, and it got like what like one Oscar nomination. I think it got cinematography yeah. and maybe like one other. It's ridiculous. The Academy's treatment of Todd Haynes is absolutely disqualifying the of them as a legitimate awards buddy. That's that's what I'll end on yeah. with Carol. <laughs> yeah. So is it back to me? Yep. Yep. Yeah. What is your second or fourth pick? My fourth pick is number the- four. Number four is the film Inception by Christopher Nolan. Um, <laughs> a movie that I watched. I didn't actually watch it in theaters because I was not that into movies when I first watched it. But as soon as, as, soon as it came wow. to DVD, one of my friends recommended it to me. And I was like, sure, I heard about that movie or whatever. That's the one that people don't understand or whatever. <laughs> so then I watched it and was just instantly blown away. I basically like to love every Christopher Nolan movie, but this one is my favorite, kind of because it's weirdly as shaggiest. It's the closest thing he'll, he'll kind of make to a hangout movie and that it's just a bunch of, like, very Christopher Nolan bullshit happening right at one after the next. And it's, I just find it very fascinating to watch. I think it's a weirdly very... <sighs> corny movie in a good way i think it's very sentimental i think what it has to Mm -hmm. say about the nature of movies and why we get caught up in things that may or may not be real is kind of profound i find the movie a movie i go back to a lot maybe the movie i've watched i i mentioned xxl is maybe the movie i've watched the most this decade inception is right up there every time i get like a new tv or like a new thing to watch stuff on i immediately do Inception because it's a movie that every sec- every second of it is like gr- engraved on my mind so I like just watching it for comparison's sake I love Tom Hardy in it lots of good riffs and bits just it's a important movie for me 
to get into movies and films and try and think about what they mean and what they're doing and what I like in a movie. Yeah. It's like a very uh, fun, cool movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is one of the Nolans for me where I'm like, it's a little bit too silly and messy for me to fully get on board with it, but I can definitely see how that's endearing, and I still like it a lot. When that, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not so hot on it, but I, I don't want to rain on your parade, so. <laughs> Andy, the city folds like a rain pizza. Rain like the beat. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, sure. Wow. But it does so in the most boring, mathy way possible. Oh, it's not, <laughs> that's a bad take. It's not boring. <laughs> Have you ever thought I mean, about yeah. math being cool, though? Math is pretty cool, Andy. I, listen, I teach math. Math is not cool. I'm sorry. I'm here to say uh, it. Sounds like you're not teaching you just, the right math. Yeah, if you don't like Inception, Andy, uh, you might want to try the shorter, even more fun version in Lil Wayne's six foot seven foot music video. <laughs> that is just uh, the kick. <laughs> That's a good music video. All, all things inspired yeah. by Inception are good. I say, so many memes from Inception. Also, you can't deny yeah. its influence. It, yeah, one of the first meme movies. Mm-hmm. Don't be That's afraid funny. to dream a little bigger, darling. People putting the blant sound. Blant. Um, one of the best trailers of all time, to be honest. That, that spinning top, will it fall over or not? And who cares? That's my question. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> um, I can't wait for your next pick to get yeah. answered by Emilio. No matter what it is. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> Uh, my number four I, is a movie that I know Amelia loves, thankfully, um, is uh, 2004, or sorry, excuse me, 2011. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing? Uh, it's from 2011, uh, and it's uh, Brad Bird's uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Oh, well, that movie fucking sucks. Whoa! <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't actually, I mean, I don't like it. I don't like any of the Mission Impossible movies, but I would say that they fucking suck. Uh, I just wanted to come out hot. Right, yep. That was hot. I mean, I, yeah, it's a hell of a lot more boring than Inception. I mean, that's just a ridiculous statement. But anyway, um... Maybe, uh, have you considered that we're maybe talking about the two most exciting films of the 2010? (laughs) 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 Um, so yes, Mission Possible Ghost Protocol is just a beautiful... Beautifully constructed series of things going wrong, and that's what I love about it. Is it's it's the movie where like the IMF is like so down and out in terms of like all their tech is breaking. Like at one point, like the mask machine breaks and stuff, and it like really makes a point about like how sort of like threadbare they are throughout much of it. Isn't that like all of the last three? Like they do the same bit. Uh, I, they do it a little bit in Rogue Nation, but, um, I think it's, 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 I don't know, the, the, the way that it's executed in Ghost Protocol is the is sort of the way that I like it, because it sort of happens while, like, it, it, I don't know, the, the, the way that it sort of plays out with the set pieces, I think it, it just uses it to, like, build the tension within the set pieces in a way that is so, um, so exciting, like, the, the extremely famous, uh, 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 Ethan Hunt on the, on the outside of the building, um, uh, the Burj Khalifa, 
um, and the way that like it plays with like his his one glove working and not working and all that and like one of he takes off one of the gloves because it breaks and then it flies away and then you see it stuck to the building later on it's just like there's so many little bits like that in that movie that just like bring me so much joy uh, a lot of great Tom Cruise running in that movie just and just like you know the the first set piece it's like it's, the it's, it's in the prison yeah. Uh, so set to the set to Frank Sinatra, right? It's just, and it's just like music, right? It's just like executed like choreography and everything. I think all the jokes in in, in Ghost Protocol are really good, um, which is maybe a little bit of my problem with like Fallout. Is I think like the jokes don't land as much, which is why it's not my favorite Mission Impossible, even though I love it. Um, and yeah, and I mean Mission Impossible movies have jokes. Honestly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't have... I guess there are a couple of jokes. It's more like bits. It's more like yeah. stuff like that. Goofs, if you will. Right. And I mean, yeah, no one gives like, no one gives like exasperated sighs like Tom Cruise. Like and he j- and like I think they're funny every time he does them. Oh, uh, Tommy. where he's like yeah. I love Tommy. He's so Yeah, good he's movie. it's I mean, it's a perfect match of actor and and character uh, where Ethan Hunt is, you know, as quote as in Rogue Nation, the other one, he is is referred to as the living manifestation of destiny. Um, and, yeah, he's just gonna keep going and keep running no matter what the world throws at him. Uh, and, and I love him so much for it. So, uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I do disagree with the common critique that, like, it sort of runs out of steam after the, uh, after the big building. Uh, I like the, um, like, like the, the, the set in the, uh, in the, in the Indian, uh, house, um, and then also the, um, the, the 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 car park uh the like the big tall uh parking garage uh, that's like mecha- mechanized at the end i think is so fun when, uh, he, when he like he, drives he... the one off the off the thing down into the ground it's so great um yeah well, what's this thing with 2010 movies and at 2010s movies and action set pieces in parking garages parking garages fucking suck <laughs> No one likes a parking garage. Like, there's this one, there's Baby Driver. Sure. I mean, this one, I think, is, like, it's a cool, like, circular, like, high-tech parking garage. Which, like, makes it kind of fun for me. Because it's, like, you know, it's, like, a ridiculous rich person's parking garage and all the... And he can just drive the car off the thing down into the middle, and it's, it's so cool. Um... Yeah, I love this movie. I think it's so fun. I can watch any part of it anytime. You can drop in for a scene, you can drop in for the whole thing, and you'll always just have a have a have a great time. I love the uh yeah, the prison set piece at the beginning and the uh the hallway one where they have like the sort of like facade of the hallway behind them. Uh those are both great. Oh yeah, that's good. Let the record show that when Andy tweeted that we'd all made fun of him after the recording uh, <laughs> last week, that was not true. I did not actually, but uh, so now he's getting what's his. Yeah. <laughs> we at least had the decency to <laughs> wait till it wasn't public. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes for good podcasting, and it also just exposes Jesse for what he is, which is a snob. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. and a snob, a slob. Yes. Yep. Both a snob and a slob. Absolutely. Uh, a clob. A clod. I will say, uh, Ghost Protocol is not my favorite Mission Impossible, but like the power of that a movie. Wrong opinion. Uh, uh, well, no, <laughs> that's not. <true>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the um, 
I was like, I was watching it, and I like rented it digitally or whatever, and like the prison set piece was happening. I was like, "This is so good," and I like bought it on Blu-ray that day, like mm-hmm. to yeah. have it like delivered. This is yeah, like, Mission Impossible gotta- has that weird effect where like I have like bought it on multiple. Like one day yeah. I was trying to watch it on my like streaming copy that I own, and like the streaming started to slow down a little bit. I'm like, this is not acceptable. And I immediately ordered the box set of all of them on Blu-ray just so I could like not have that run into that problem ever again. Yeah. The first one is the best one though. Or it's the second worst. Probably. Oh yeah. I mean, I also have like a a weird vendetta against Simon Pegg. I don't think he's good in those movies, but that's uh, not important. More of a Nick Frost man yourself. Exactly. <laughs> Stay frosty. Um, so my number four. Yeah, let's do it. It's gotta be, speaking of exciting movies, Tamara Jenkins' Private Life. <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie. That one also peaks in the middle with that one set piece and then is no. all downhill from there. <laughs> no! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love. I love Catherine this Hahn uh, on the Burj Khalifa is great, um, but that's she because she's great, great awesome. doing anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a movie that uh, it's 2018 movie. I uh, saw it because it was a Netflix release. Um, I saw it like when it came out on Netflix. I think like late November, early December, maybe, uh, and liked it a lot. But hadn't. Uh, I hadn't watched it again until today, but it like in consideration of like what my favorite movies of the decade are, it was one that like kept coming up and like I made like a list of like my top fifty and I was like that should be like on there for sure like no question and I like thinking like is it in my top twenty five and I was like had the suspicion that it would that I I was like I gotta rewatch it to see if like it cements it or if like I'm forgetting something that I didn't like about it and. I watch it and it's just so good. It's so perfect. Like, I love that sort of like, um, not expose, but like the uh, like depiction of like this like upper class, like New York intellectual is like a very comforting movie to me. It's like Noah Baumbach movies give you that, and like Whit Stillman movies, but it also has this like emotional spine of like them. Uh, Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn trying to have a baby, uh, getting their like step niece involved, uh, played by Kaylee Carter, and Catherine Hahn is like such a good actor. It's like impossible to overrate her. She's got like it's a weird way to describe it, but her she's able to make a face that can just like melt your heart. It's so like you just have so much sympathy for her, and there's like. It's the only, uh, I haven't seen Savages or like any of uh, Tamara Jenkins' other movies, but this one I just I thought about it a lot, and I was like, I gotta watch it just to see like if I'm crazy or if it's great, and it's so great, and I feel like it might be a little underappreciated, uh, just like generally. So whatever I can do with this to like bump it up, have it on like the forefront of people's minds, it's so so good. Molly Shannon, John Carroll Lynch are also great in it. Um, what's his? Uh, the guy i can't think of his name he, he plays the doctor who's like listening to like prog rock as he's like operating on Catherine Hahn. there's so many good bits it's so like um there's these like segments where uh kaylee carter's character is like filming things on her phone and it's like this weird burst of energy you get from the movie there's these like way it's uh the ending Ugh, i don't want to spoil anything but like the ending is so yeah. like heartbreaking in a way 
and hopeful and you just you fall in love with this couple by the end and it's just so so good so well acted so well written a perfect movie yeah man 2018 is a great year it's where my number nine and ten picks came from and this is another great one uh yeah Catherine Hahn absolutely rules and Tamara Jenkins is a wonderful director I've seen um Savages too is it Savages or The yeah, Savages uh, I think just Savages okay yeah that's, could be a, wrong, that's a great movie one like of the is... the four the four central leading performances between those two movies are like all perfect. Oh, yeah, uh, Han and, and Giamatti, and then one. yeah, Lenny and Philip Seymour Hoffman. God, incredible. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, folks, give Private Life a chance. It's so good. Yep. Yeah, I believe I went to a movie theater to see it somehow yeah it was great i think it played tiff uh the year i was there but i didn't maybe uh, i want to say it skipped tiff and just did new york i may be confusing it with the holop center but uh yes yeah the holop center i almost saw and then everyone was like "Eh, it's not so good it's just too bad yeah i have seen that holop center which is fine it's on Netflix, yeah. it's, you know, it's, 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 it's fairly easy watch if you want to throw it on someday. Yeah, maybe I will. Alright, that takes us to my number four, I believe, which I almost can't believe that this is so low, and that is uh, A Ghost Story, the 2017 David Lowry film. Which is, like, man, do I love this movie. Like, this is, like, the most, like, me movie, kind of. Not only of the decade, but maybe ever. Just in, like, what it's doing, like, is so cool. So it's about... What is it even about? I would say it's kind of about this place. And what happens to this place over a period of time through the eyes of this ghost who the in the first segment of the movie Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck play a couple and he passes away and you start out thinking maybe it's going to be about her grief and that's the first however many minutes of the movie but then she moves away and rather than following her it stays with this ghost in this house and you see the next the next family that moves in and then various other things happening in this house, kind of different episodes, and then what kind of continues to go on with this space. And yeah, it's just so cool. It reminds me a bit of, and I'll, here's a little pick for another piece of media a best of the decade is i believe this came out in 2010 the graphic novel here by richard mcguire which is a kind of similar conceit where every page is this basically the same shot but of this house of this room in this house but it's at different times and like there will be different panels where like one part of the page might be from like 
2010, and then you might be seeing the rest of the page might be from uh, 100,000 years ago, and it's just, it's this, that, that even more so, I think it's why I think of, because because I connect those two pieces of art, I think that's maybe why I think of the ghost story so much as being about this place, because here is even more so, and I think Ghost Story is kind of doing that in the best way that a, a movie can. Yeah. Uh, Ghost Story, not a movie I, like, fully am bought into. Uh, but there's, like, weird things. Like, the song from that movie is I Get Overwhelmed. Yeah. That song is, like, constant rotation for me. I think it's so good. And also mm-hmm. the Will Oldham scene. <laughs> Um, yeah. where he's just giving this like great monologue sort of in the middle of the movie is something mm-hmm. I think about a lot uh, even though I don't know if that's like my favorite David Lowry movie it's absolutely my favorite David Lowry movie uh, same. incredible yes. I also... yeah it's probably my favorite I've spoken before I'm not super in love with any of his movies but I do think this one I mean it's most of his movies are for me a, a little bit of like oh yeah I see what you're going for but then like I never like feel it and this is probably the one that's it's closest to me feeling something, especially like once it gets into that second half. Uh, yeah. Yep. It mm-hmm. looks yeah. great. I like how yeah. the moment where the two ghosts look at each other across the window is perfect. Yeah, everything with the other ghost is like mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah, that's really great. That's what the movies are for. I am Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, then I'm going to go with Jordan Peele's Get Out for my number three. It's a movie that I think I've I've in the past said that I don't like using the descriptor perfect for things like art because I think that perfect is kind of a boring thing to be. It's interest. I find it more interesting if stuff is shaggy. That being said, I think Get Out is perfect. I think every single moment of it. It's like down to a T, perfectly executed. It has a lot to say. Everything can be construed two ways. It's a movie that is incredibly rewarding in rewatch. If any of you don't know, this might be the highest grossing movie we've talked about so far, so it would be crazy. Well, I guess Moana. But Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. We're, we're going on the big ones today. And Inception, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andy and uh, Emilio going with these their cash cows. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just the it's basically the story of the guy who go, a guy who go a black guy who goes with his white girlfriend to vacation at his white girlfriend's parents' house, and wacky things ensue, and it is a very it's very I find it incredibly funny. It's billed as a horror movie, but I find it a lot funnier than I do scary, though there are some incredibly tense moments to be throughout. I, I feel like the way it meshes those two things is very reminiscent of his, the excellent work that Jordan Peele did on his show of, like, depicting these very, like, real struggles in a very funny, like, awkward sort of way that I enjoy. I think Daniel Kaluuya gives an excellent performance of just, like, seeing, watching, hearing the discomfort of being a person of color in a white space and not feeling 
accepted and feeling tokenized and feeling this like you don't belong but also everybody wants to talk to you and i just love it i again in the movie i like i'm not a rewatcher of movies but i like watching this one a lot like get out little Ro howry great in it yep very funny he's great mm-hmm. but keith stanfield is great in his yeah role i enjoy all of the White Family, Allison Williams, very good. Catherine Keener. Kayla Landry Jones. <laughs> Kayla Landry Jones is maybe the most, like, <laughs> the... The most great? <laughs> Ooh, I think Keener is, like, the best of the whites. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, in the movie? That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think Andy was more taking... Uh, Offense with the fr- with the framing of that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you want to jump to white people's defense, Andy? <laughs> yeah, Catherine Keener's the best of the honkies. I am. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love it. I think it's Loki, a great movie, a great cinematography movie. There's a lot of shots I remember from it. Yeah, yeah. There's like um, Daniel Kaluuya is like, uh, it's like the thing that's been said the most about the movie. Maybe like how great just his eye acting is, and like in other movies he's been in. I don't know if they'll show up on the rest of anyone's list, but like he does a lot of great like, and this it's like eye acting of sort of like fear and like nerves. And then, like, in a movie like Widows, he does, like, this great sort of intense, like, dead-eye acting. He's, like, a very interesting face actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excited to see what he does next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like this movie. I liked it more the second time I saw it. I don't know that I love it still, but it's a very good movie. Yeah, I think it's very re- rewarding. It's one of those movies where, I, I, again, it's not a movie I saw in theaters because I was... Something was happening when it was out and I just didn't get to see it. And then when it came out on DVD, I remember watching it and kind of being blown away. And then it's one of the few movies where I watched it and I immediately rewatched it with a commentary and I watched the deleted scenes because like, I needed everything that it had. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, talk about a movie that like ha- had like a cultural moment. Like, there was, like, a period of time where, like, everyone was talking about Get Out, even people who, like, aren't into movies, and I think it's really commendable that that it is able to play to a mass audience on, 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 on that sort of level, um, and, and be about the things that it's about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Andy, on to your third pick. Yeah! My number three. Uh, it is, uh, perhaps, I don't know, some might say the most inevitable pick on my list, uh, from 2012. <laughs> Uh, the up-and-coming director known as Steven Spielberg, his film Lincoln. Um, mm. I love Lincoln. I love Lincoln because it's uh, a sprawling, like, perhaps the best ensemble of any movie in the last decade. Um, just the number of, like, incredible one-scene performances and character performances and stuff in this movie is, is, um, is insane. And it's also just... It's a movie that, like, is interested in the process of progress, right? And it's, like, thinking very hard about, like, 
what is the thing that Lincoln was able to do that was, like, so extraordinary when he, like, set his sights on passing the 13th Amendment? Um, and I think the the way that it depicts, like, the, the legislative process uh, is sort of puts it in conversation with one of my favorite uh, stage musicals and th- that I also love the movie of, which is the musical 1776, which is about... Um, the sort of the, the process of behind the creation of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and I, I just sort of similarly, you see like all these legislatures as people, uh, as, as uh, incredibly flawed people who were working and who would, would sometimes unite behind a, a, a greater ideal um, that um, would uh, lead to things being a little bit better. Um, uh, and, uh, just the way that, like, the cast handles the beautiful, like, Tony Kushner dialogue, uh, the, the insults that they get to throw at each other throughout are just so fun and so delightful and old-timey, um, and it's, it's just a, it's, it's, and it's, it's just a movie that, like, yeah, that, that really is, gets in, digs into the dirt in the best ways, uh, and there's a lot of different approaches you could take when you're making a movie about Abraham Lincoln, Obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis, like, one of our finest actors, not controversial to say, um, it does an incredible job as Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones as Thaddeus Stevens, uh, maybe my perfor- favorite performance in 2012. I think he's so good in that movie. Um, Lee Pace as Fernando Wood as, as, the, as the sort of the chief villainous uh, uh, congressman uh, is, 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 is really good. Um, his Lincoln's whole cabinet is just full of... It, yeah, it, it's, it's just... It's just it's it's a movie that has a little bit of everything. I think it's 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 very funny. It, it makes you cry. It's got it's, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful cinematography. Um, the production design is impeccable. Obviously, like all these things, it's just a movie that like I love spending time in and letting wash over me. Um, and also, I think reflects a lot of sort of just thematic interest in stuff that I think is is so fascinating to to consider. So mm-hmm. my number three is. Yeah, Lincoln rules. The the performance, one of the performances that's always really stuck out to me, even before I knew who he was, was uh, Michael Stilbark. Mm-hmm. As yep. uh, one of the senators, I believe. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I believe he he's the one who like has that little speech about like I don't I don't want to be like remembered, um, which is so good. Um, mm-hmm. one scene Adam Driver role. So I mean, the the cast literally you could spend all day just naming how great the cast is. Yeah, like yeah. There's that sort of like wrecking crew of uh, James Spader and like Tim Blake Nelson. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, is like the yeah the the sort of the 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 dark side of the legislative process where they're like bribing people with jobs and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Not my uh, favorite Spielberg of the decade, but a very good one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Definitely that's the thing. My like, favorite Spielberg, Spielberg of the decade. It might. I've recently come around on Bridge of Spies, and I like that one a whole lot. But of his yeah. like later period, just like Dad, I'm gonna talk about yes. you about American history movies. Lincoln was for sure the one that the first time I watched it, I was like, "Ah, oh, this rules, and this is great." Uh, yeah, I think the post whips. <laughs> <laughs> They're all good. They're all of them are good. This He's is good the only one movies. that I love of like the post Oscar period. Though I need to see AI. Whoa. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, there's other the ones. That, there's other ones I like, but I just watched Munich for the first time. And I haven't movie's... seen that either. That's fair. That movie's like amazing. <laughs> yeah, that movie works. Um, 
Janusz is a guy who Janusz Kaminski, his cinematographer, who sometimes he'll make a movie that I definitely am like this is too washed out and I'm not fully a fan of its look. But Lincoln looks gorgeous. That is completely true. It's just like some of the scenes inside of the house and mm-hmm. some of the lighting yeah, pouring into the man. window. It's uh, yeah. pretty great. Lincoln rules, yeah. people. You should watch also Lincoln. The s- yeah, absolutely. I I bought the, the Blu-ray of Lincoln recently, and I gotta I have to throw it in and watch it again soon because it's just mm. yeah, it's an incredibly watchable movie. Uh, also, just wanted to just point out, I believe this is the second movie on my list with Stephen McKinley Henderson in it, and it won't be the last. Uh oh. Uh oh. I think. Uh yeah. Is yeah, it? Cool. Is Cullen? it Cullen? Okay. Yeah. Cullen, you're number three. Speaking of great cinematography and Daniel Day-Lewis, Phantom Thread, baby! Woo, woo, woo! <laughs> I was uh, hesitating uh, to put this on my list because we talked about Inherent Vice a little bit in the uh, in Jesse's uh, 10 through 6, but I'd be mm-hmm. lying to myself if I didn't include at least one of his movies on my list. Paul Thomas Anderson, like... Uh, not a hot take at all. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. Phantom Thread, I think, is sort of like the culmination, not the culmination, uh, I mean, of his decade, it is in a way, and like, unless you count Anima, but like, it's such, like, if you look at Boogie Nights and then look at Phantom Thread, there's like bones that are there, but it's such a different movie, and it's such like, he's matured so much in a way that like, his, like, his uh, 2010s is my favorite period of his movies. Um, the Master, I also think, is like impeccable. But Phantom Thread is like it's, it's odd to say this because it is like sort of like a steely movie with like these icy characters of like Daniel Day Lewis and um, Leslie Manville and uh, Vicky Creeps also to a certain extent. Um, but it's such a warm movie. It looks so good. It's like. I, I've seen it, like, I think this is the the time I, I watched it uh, this morning just to sort of refresh myself, and I think it was the fourth time I've seen it. It's just so good-looking, I can't get over it. Daniel Day-Lewis is, like, maybe the best he's ever been. Vicky Creeps as, like, a talent, uh, or a, a person who's, like, I, I, I think uh, before it was not in a ton of stuff, like, maybe, uh, I think, like, a bit part in the movie Hana was, like, her biggest thing. Uh, that she had been in, and she's like giving Daniel Day Lewis a run for his money. It's like a uh, hacky thing to say, like, what a good actor Daniel Day Lewis is. She is so good in it, it's insane. Leslie Manville, incredible in it. All these like bit parts, like uh, Brian Gleason as like this doctor, uh, is so great. Uh, but like the movie, uh, I, I don't want to like, I mean, I can't imagine that there's anyone listening who hasn't seen it, but like, it's about this fashion designer in London or in England in like the 50s and he meets this um, waitress like when he's out in the country sort of trying to get away from it all because he's had like another failed romance because he sort of just can't stand the women that he's with up to a certain point Uh, and they like instantly sort of become enamored with each other and he brings her back to his um, like fashion house um where he like makes all these dresses and they sort of like have like a back and forth where she is like trying to get into the fold of his life and like become more of like a partner to him and he it, like with everyone keeps these people at bay 
And there's these scenes where it's like so funny of her just like spreading butter on toast. Get so exasperated with it so quickly. And it's like a relatable thing to see like in like the sort of glow of the morning, someone that you like had something with before, like everything they do can annoy you. And it's like not um, the whole thing of her character, but like there's this bit of just like, they end up getting married at one point and as soon as they're on their honeymoon she's like eating oatmeal and like clanking her spoon too loudly against his teeth and you see Daniel Day-Lewis like instantly regretting it and it's just so funny um but and it, yeah it's like the best looking movie of its year maybe of the decade but I yeah I could not have it on my list it's just so so good mm-hmm. yeah it rules it's certain. It's in my like uh, ten to twenty range, as is Paul Thomas Anderson's other movie, The Master. Sure. <laughs> I know Andy and Amelia, you both don't like this movie, really. I'm like, uh, it's whatever. I'm a little more positive than Andy. Ever. It's one of those movies. It's again one of those movies where it's like everything. Ab- I recognize everything about it is good. It's just I never connect. It's just like yeah. It's the, I still find it too distant. I can never, like, fully emotionally, like, go gaga over it, even though I'm watching every second of it. I'm like, this is good. There are moments mm-hmm. I think is great. I think Creech yeah. is good. There are some very great... Good. Oh. The ending is very funny. The part with the ghost is great. I like a ghost in a movie, yeah. as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. But, uh, oh, yeah. uh, I don't want to get It's a totally defensible it. pick as, like, a pretty dense, interesting, gorgeous movie from this decade. Uh, yeah. yeah, the Johnny Greenwood score is perfect. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I've some heard... of the best music like ever written, I would say. Yes, I... that wins score of the decade. I have spent a lot more time listening to that score than watching that movie and thinking about it. I listened to that score a whole lot, just by itself. I will say, I think the one standout element from Phantom Thread is Harriet Harris, so I think it's terrific. In that she's movie. great. Uh, she's so. Uh, that's like everyone in the movie is like funny and mean in a way that I just. <laughs> I love so much, but yeah, I just, yeah, I was watching it and I was, cause like there was uh, something I was sort of like waffling in between of like, maybe I'll put this on, give something else like a shout. And I was like, no, this movie's too good. I got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've always got to talk about Phantom Thread. Jesse, your number three. My number three movie was premiered in 2008 but it got its u.s release to the extent that it got one this is a run of uh three projects that basically made no money theatrically uh but this one is ariano yenis's extraordinary stories uh he of course also released la flor which is also wonderful but did not have time to talk about two of his movies. I considered making this a tie, but I already had done something that was going to piss off Andy. Uh, so yeah, Extraordinary Stories is my pick. Uh, this is a movie that has three parts. All ab- uh, Each part is about Guy in a Strange Situation. The first one is about a man who 
witnesses a murder and then ends up kind of stuck in a hotel, both trying to avoid retribution because he's a witness to the murder and also trying to figure out what the story is behind it. Then there's a guy who gets a new job. It's like a weird job. It leads him on a weird journey. And then there's a third story about a guy who is sent down a river and is uh, doing some surveying work, but every time he like makes a stop, it seems like someone has just been there. And so he's trying to figure that out. So they all kind of have like a mystery element to it. They all are told pretty much exclusively through narration. You see what's happening, that there's a narrator uh, that is telling you what's going on. Uh, the, the main characters are all referred to by a letter. I believe they are respectively X, Z, and H. And uh, X is played by Enos. X is the, the, the first story, the guy who uh, witnesses the murder. And it's just like, I saw it before tiff in 2018 so it also very even though it it's kind of borderline whether it is a movie of this decade it very much feels of this decade because it was such a discovery for me this decade i watched it in anticipation of the release of lafleur yenis's 14 and a half hour six-part movie which i was not able to catch at toronto eventually caught when Grasshopper released it at, for a little while at the end of last year. It is available again uh, right now, and who knows if it's going to stay available or not this time. They're released with it's pretty weird. Extraordinary Stories is available to rent from Mubi, and I could not recommend it more highly. It's another... Certainly not as long as the floor, but I think it's still like three and a half hours, and it's a weird one where a, a big part of this decade for me has been struggling with my attention span and just like not being able to watch movies in one go unless I'm in a theater. But this three and a half hour movie that I started at 11 p.m., I watched all the way through, and it is just just like it i it, it's it's super novelistic it's very kind of reminiscent of like thomas pynchon or roberto bolaño it's it's maybe easier for it to be novelistic than so much of it is told through narration uh but yeah it's just like it's it very much for me was like a wow i didn't know a movie could do this moment and enos uh, i would say is like one of my absolute favorite directors, even though he's only made, uh, I think, three feature-length movies, and I've only seen two of them. Obviously, his output, you could kind of compare to David Lynch and that, like, this decade, they've only made one or two things, but those things are immense. Yep. Uh, yeah. Historia's uh, Fantastica's fantastic story. It's a, it's a great movie. It's... It's... It, uh, it's 
the narration of it, I think it's what makes it very watchable. It's like, mm-hmm. like you said, it's very Pynchon-esque, and then it's just like, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Yes. And it just keeps going yeah. at a rhythm that you just kind of keep watching this. And he makes like these movies that are very playful in the way that it's just like, these stories, are, they're like very disconnected, but sometimes there's a little crossover, and it's like, does, are, mm-hmm. like does this mean anything maybe maybe not it, it's definitely having some fun at that level it's uh he's a very good director he's very playful he's he makes these very long like exper- almost like they're almost experimental maybe they are experimental I don't have the vocabulary to describe anything in those sort of terms <laughs> but it's sure quite it's like, even though they're super long, they're also incredibly engaging, all this movie. I feel like yes. I have not fully watched La Flor, but what I've watched is also the same, where it's like, yeah, this is five hours of a movie, but it's everything is watchable, and moment to moment it's very playful, and it's having fun, and it's funny. Not, not like there's openly jokes, but just like mm-hmm. the way that it plays with what you know. It's like it has a good sense yeah. of irony, good sense of drama. Yes. Yeah, the, this is a good movie. Yeah, the third section of Le Floor is the one that is the most similar to uh, Extraordinary Stories, and that the it's the longest. That on its own is like six hours, and it's the story of these four spies who are on a mission, and you get what happened. You you get kind of what led each of them to this mission, and that also is told a lot through narration. Yeah, uh, a director to really look out for. I hope we get more stuff from him this decade. Amelia, you're two. My number two is If Beale Street Could Talk by Ooh. Barry Jenkins. Yes. Good movie. Yeah. Uh, Beale Street with Tom Barry Jenkins came out in 2018. It is an adaptation of a James Baldwin novel about a couple in Harlem in New York and the struggles that they face staying together after the male person the the male person in the couple was accused of rape falsely. Maybe not. It's a little, it's mostly not vague about whether he did it or not, but it there is always a little bit of doubt in these things but it's a uh, an incredibly touching portrayal of how hard it is to live in america it's this movie that always leans forward with just like listen love isn't gonna solve your problems but it's kind of all that you can do in this world to just like stay together and try to have something to hold on to because if you lose touch from that you're just gonna be floating in the wind disconnected letting the powers of the world just wash over you and destroying you and it's I find it incredibly moving I think it's an incredibly well executed movie one of the most beautifully shot movies of the, of the decade by James Laxton the score is that's my score of the oh, decade over that, yeah that would be my other gender it's just yeah. gorgeous Brutal just Swinging yeah. all of the performances in it: Stefan James, Kiki Lane, Coleman Domingo, who might be my oh. favorite in it, Tayana Paris, Regina King, Diego Luna, Brian Tyree Henry, 
a, a great Dave Franco scene, which is always good <laughs> to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. Me, I remember uh, going to see it at Toronto that year. Um, like, sort of going in with, like, the expectation of, like, I like Moonlight a lot. This trailer looks intense. This is probably going to be, like, a, not a tough sit, but, like, pretty, like, uh, draining. And I was, like, caught off guard by just, like, I, I, I use the word to describe Phantom Thread. It's also just such a warm, like, very loving movie. Like, all the scenes with the family. It's just so much uh, love, like, on display. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Being, like, yeah. Yeah, having come out in consecutive years, I do kind of associate this and Phantom Thread of both, like, movies that have abs that are, like, perfectly constructed, that have wonderful cinematography, wonderful scores. I think they... I have them both as my number two movie of that year, even though there are two movies that are on this list that I put ahead of, uh... uh it could talk for in 2018. Yeah, it, it, it was very, they, they were both very close to making my list. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, yeah, I really love If Beale Street Could Talk. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a movie that is, deals with like an incredibly tough subject matter in the most like loving way possible. And you just, like, it's, it's so entrancing on an aesthetic level that like it, it, it is able to deal with those like hard to deal with like very very like very much like um challenging themes in, in in a way that i think is is just like the way it weds those sort of two approaches uh is is spectacular and i love that movie and mm-hmm. number two my number two um my number two uh from 2016 uh, is um, Mike Mills's 20th Century Women. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, which perhaps, like, I, I think, you know, Annette Benning in 20th Century Women is probably my performance of the decade. I think she's so incredible in that movie. Um, and uh, talk about another one where, like, it's just sort of like, you just sort of swim in the movie. Um, it's so absorbing. It's so... Um, there's just such a sense of, like, movement and, um, and, and just, like, sort of being caught up in something. And it's a movie that, like, it, it, it's so, like, it, it, the way that it is, like, both incredibly tangible in front of you, but yet also feels, like, just beyond your grasp is, I think, just, um, is, is, it's sort of like a magic trick the way that, that movies can be. Um, and I, I, yeah, I mean, the ensemble is incredible. Um, Greta Gerwig, Billy Crudup, um, Elle Fanning, uh, Lucas Jade Zuman, who plays the, the the young boy at the center of things. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's 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 a great great movie that that I always like that I remember seeing. You know, it it it, it sort of went into wide release like shortly after like uh, the Trump's inauguration, um, and I remember seeing it just like shortly after that, and and really finding it to be something that I could cling to in, like, a time where I was feeling incredibly stressed out and anxious and, and nervous about what the world was was going to be going forward. Um, and I, I, I just always remember the line in it that is, like, in this, like, 
uh, incredibly tricky but incredibly effective voiceover where Annette Benning just sort of says like they don't know that Reagan's coming um, mm-hmm. and I always I always think about that as like yeah we don't know what's coming we don't know like what bad actors are are, are, are happening in our future um, and just the way that it sort of frames that as like a story of a life and uh, and how our lives are so are so precious and fragile. Um, I, I just you know the the feelings that that are that this movie inspires. I think is just it's it's sort of transcendent and it is it 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 it, um, it really uh, takes you to to sort of a deeper place that I, that I really appreciate. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it, that that was my like eleven, just like just cut. Yeah, I really wanted it in there, but I mm-hmm. didn't find space. So it, I'm glad you picked it. It is a great film. I enjoy Greta Gerwig in it a lot. She was very yep. Fun it's the best fun. thing she's done this decade <laughs> or ever. Oh, <laughs> oh. stay tuned, folks. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just. As you said, like, the thing about the bad actors in the future, it's, like, for a movie that is set in the past and ends with, like, a look to the future, it is an incredibly good movie about, like, living in the present and just trying to observe yeah. your, your mm-hmm. own life and try to actively make changes and, like, how weird and how hard and just, like, looking at the people around you and seeing, like, well, this is a good way to live and then finding out that, like, ah, they also don't know what they're doing either. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly profound and it's a great film. Yeah. yeah, a movie that I'm like in the minority on of thinking it's very good rather than like perfect. Uh, it's still very good. Maybe the uh, second best Elp fanning performance of that year. The first, of course, being Neon Demon. Jesus Christ! Uh, must you ruin this for all of us? Talk about like a great <laughs> score, though. I the score. I don't. I don't have the composer's name right now, but uh, there's like a sort of like. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like not electronic, but sort of like plunky score to it that I really think about a lot. And um, Roger like, Neal uh, is the name of it. Yes, Roger, uh, I like Mike Mills's style that he does like these um, sort of like insert shots and stuff like that of like mm-hmm. um, you know montage almost of, with narration. It's a very like uh, airy movie. That's not the right word for it. It's like. Um, it's got a, it's like a very cohesive vibe of just like yeah, um, it's like it's it's like ethereal. Yes, that's yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. Thank you. Sometimes I know <laughs> good words. Uh huh. Yeah, I love this movie too. It's the second best Mike Mills movie this decade. Are you referring to the music video? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm referring to "I Am Easy to Find." <laughs> Huh. Beginners is also great. I have only seen like sections of Beginners. I really should really mm. have to watch the whole thing. Yeah, real good. It's a yeah, really good one. Yeah, Christopher Palmer yeah. great in that. Colin, you're number two. Well, uh, Amelia was doing some off mic teasing about it, but I am of course <laughs> going with Mia Hansen loves Eden from. <laughs> I think it uh, premiered in 2014. The official release in 2015. Uh, I watched this for the first time, like, in September of, uh, I think, 2018, so not that long ago, but uh, I was not really prepared for, because I, I, I watched it again uh, yesterday, sort of just to refresh myself on it. Um, it's a movie I think about a lot. Uh, it's about a DJ 
who um, starts like a DJ duo in the 90s in France. And uh, it, it starts like 92 and goes all the way to 2013 of just his life. He like starts with a very young guy. Um, and uh, he and his friend are like coming up at the same time as like Daft Punk. And um, there's like this fun bit with Daft Punk where every time they try and go to a club, they can't get in because no one knows what they look like. Um, but it is this great movie about like, uh, and I'll sort of tie into my number one a little bit, but like he, this guy sort of hits his ceiling and like doesn't really know it. continue being like DJs and they're like playing these sort of like house parties and raves because uh, they play garage music um, is what like the technical term I guess would be but they sort of like hit their peak in like 95 and then just plateau and they like never sort of gain any recognition like they go to New York at, at one point to play a show and then like uh, they're on like the radio and some other scenes but it's like you see, you have, like, sort of the um, background uh, movie of, like, what the, of, like, the Daft Punk story happening, like, very faintly, where it's, like, oh, these guys are, like, super successful, we're not, and then, like, you see some of his friends, like, die, he has relationships with people that, like, they all have babies, and everyone's getting older, and he's just, like, sort of wasting his life doing, like, what he loves, and, like, spending all his money on drugs and isn't able to like hold down a relationship and uh the movie gets to a certain point where he just sort of has like a boring day job and is um like at the beginning of the movie he's working on his thesis uh he's like a literature student and he um he's working on his thesis and then it gets rejected because he's like taking too long to get uh like any traction on it with like a professor so then by the end he's taking this literature class but um it like hit this guy just sort of going going his whole life like doing what he wants to do but also like objectively failing at it uh in his literature class and uh he's like they're like asking him what he does he's like oh i've got this job he's like i used to like work in music and he's like do you know of it um and it is i gotta find the guy's name uh, i, th- I want to say robert creasley creely maybe um one second uh robert creely they read this poem by him and uh there's like this final line that's uh it was like it's uh it was light at the beginning and like dark at the closing and that is like perfectly like what the movie is about of just like this uh, it's got this running, uh, not score, but soundtrack of this like garage EDM music that is so like energetic <laughs> the whole time. And, like watching it the second time, I was like, oh, it's like sad the whole time. Like none of it is. It is a movie I loved when I first saw it, and now I love it in like a much different way where I'm just like, this is a cautionary tale. And it's, uh, yeah, Mia Hansen Love written with her brother and, like, based on his life. Um, but it's just so, so good. Love Mia Hansen Love. Mm-hmm. 
things to come and uh goodbye first love also uh her movies from this decade uh that are like perfect as well yeah sure yep another another great movie oh you gotta watch it so good yeah i will another movie with greta gerwig in it Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) talented talented uh, yeah, multi-talented even. Yeah. Wow. On and off screen. She uh, plays like a girlfriend of his who's American um, and she like leaves and when he goes to New York later on, she's there and she's uh, in a relationship that is like maybe abusive with uh, Brady Corbett, uh, which is always fun to see him pop up. <laughs> yeah, He's all over this decade, yeah. for yeah. sure. Directed two of your favorite movies. Hey, I'll defend Vox Lux. <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing we saw after we saw If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, yeah, that didn't do it any favors. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Different movies, though. Both inspired by Jonathan Demme. Yes. And Jesse, what's your number two? My number two is... The best ensemble of the decade, which is in Kenneth Lonergan's Margaret. This stars Anna Paquin as a... Is it actually, do you say, actually have to say it that way, or are you just do, doing it effectively? I mean, I don't know. That's what... That's how... That is the only way that that name is pronounced in the movie. Oh, I never realized this. I have not seen this movie. Please Oh, okay, Sorry, yeah. Not. It's based on a... Uh, it comes from a poem that uh, Matthew Broderick's character, who is an English teacher, I uh, forget if he reads it or if he asks the student to read it, but it's called Margaret. Uh, the, the main character of the movie is not named Margaret. She is named uh, Lisa Cohen, and she's played by Anna Paquin. Uh, and at the very beginning of the movie, she witnesses a car accident in which a woman played by Allison Janney is killed. And she kind of, uh, it's a, it's not a car accident, it's a bus accident. It's a bus being driven by a character played by Mark Ruffalo, who she maybe kind of distracts and that might be part of the reason why he runs a red light and she kind of spends the rest of the movie trying to reckon with that trying to maybe bring him to justice maybe just get uh get justice for Allison Janney's character she forms a relationship with one of uh, Jenny's character's best friends, played by Jeannie Berlin, who is wonderful. Uh, equally wonderful is her mother, who's played by J. Smith Cameron, who uh, got very popular towards the end of the decade on Succession, but is absolutely wonderful in this movie. Uh, uh, is married to Lonergan. Uh, but this is the only movie of his that she's been in, I believe. Uh, and uh, there's she's in. Yeah, uh, you can count on. Me. Okay, yeah, I saw that longer ago when I wouldn't have necessarily recognized, but that makes sense. Uh, 
there's some scenes between Cameron and Paquin that are just like uh, so the the most the the bet those are like the best written scenes of the decade uh, among them uh, that, that are just so real so specifically conceived and such a great mother daughter or just in general mother child relationship in a way that. Uh, some other very acclaimed movies this decade attempt to capture and uh, don't work so well for me. Uh, but yeah, this not not to denigrate other movies while I'm talking about how wonderful uh, Margaret is. Uh, to be specific, I'm listing the uh, extended cut, which was released. That so there was a big. If you don't know, there was a big issue where this movie was shot in 2005, I believe. It was supposed to come out in 2007, but there was a huge conflict between Lonergan and Fox Searchlight about the editing of the movie. Uh, Martin Scorsese got involved. He was an executive producer on the film. Him and Thelma Schoonmaker got involved at one point and attempted to edit a cut of the film, but that ne that never came out either. Finally, a cut. So I, I actually saw this at a, a screening of the extended cut that Lonergan was in attendance for. And that, that was the second time that I saw the movie and what really cemented it as, at that time, maybe my favorite, but now one still one of my very, very top-of-the-list movies of 2010s. Uh, and the way he's described it is that the theatrical cut that came out, and I'm getting these numbers a little bit wrong, but he was about, like, 70% happy with the theatrical cut that came out, and then, like... 85% happy with the extended cut that eventually came out. And so that's part of why he doesn't call it a director's cut. It's like, it's still not exactly what he was wanting it to be, but, you know, maybe there is some theory old better version of this movie, but it's hard to imagine because it's, 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 it's absolutely superlative. Yeah. yeah. It's just, um, yeah, it's just, like, Lonergan makes these movies about how, basically, how empathy is impossible, because it's, like, all of the, all of his characters are so fully well realized, and they have their own takes on the world, and they have their own problems, and it's, like, as much as Lisa is the main character, everybody is so well drawn that it turns it into this movie about how, like, yeah, it's hard. Nobody's gonna be a side character to her story. Everybody has their own takes, and they have their own thoughts, and they're gonna show in, and they're gonna clash, and they're gonna conflict. And it's just like a movie about how hard it is to like live in this world and like find ways to like help yourself and like fully realize your own true potential and your own true view on the world when everybody has their own. And it just like the kaleidoscopic nature of it. The it's very good ensemble cast. And yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like people, there's people I didn't mention. Even uh, Matt Damon plays another one of her teachers. 
uh, two of her classmates are played by uh, Kieran Culkin, and then is his name John Gallagher Jr., I think, the yes. guy from mm-hmm. Short Term 12. Yeah, those are all those great right. performances. <laughs> uh, there's, uh, I never remember this guy's name. Uh, he plays a lawyer that uh, Jeannie Berlin's character hires to kind of work on the case of the uh the car accident he's also he plays a witness in intolerable cruelty and that's like one of the funniest performances ever i'm gonna look up his name i can't just type margaret into imdb someone else can keep talking michael while i look at his name michael ely is that his name? I believe it's that's a name. About. Yeah. Oh, I think that might be the other lawyer. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, we I, didn't uh... mention uh, Jean Reno plays a boyfriend of. Yeah, Michael. Michael Ely is the other lawyer. Uh, who is this guy? Why can I not even find him on the cast list? Are you just making up a supporting performance in Margaret? No, the, the, I'm not the, making up the more. I'm absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> he's. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you oh. look it up. Uh, I'll say, uh, Margaret, yeah, very good movie. Kenneth Flanagan is like three for three, basically. Um, I might have like a hot take <laughs> just because. It's hard to recommend this movie, but I think I slightly prefer Manchester by the Sea. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's very much a runner-up for me. The uh, uh, yeah, Margaret has like um, this. Uh, so that I'm like a sucker for in movies is a good opera scene, and boy, does Margaret have them. Yes, there's some great. Uh, oh yeah, he it's uh, Jonathan Hadari is the name I was looking for. Uh, I don't know why I, I had to move to the intolerable cruelty cast list to find it. He also he plays uh, Sherman Tans on the last couple seasons of the, and he's in. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 Great. Great. That guy. <laughs> he's not. Do- he's not done very many movies. Yeah. Looks nothing like Michael Ely. Nope. <laughs> Boy, does he not. Michael Ely is listed as Dave the lawyer, and I remembered him <laughs> as a lawyer as well. In that movie. Yes, he does not play a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jonathan Hidari is like uh, a theater guy. It looks like he played Roy Cohn in the national touring production of uh, Angels in America. Yeah. Good part. Yep. Good part. Shouts to Kenny, the long man. Yeah. A legend. Mm-hmm. K.L. the boss dog. <laughs> Are we ready to hear Amelia's number one? I think so. Do we want to do... Oh, I guess never mind, yeah. <laughs> ah. So my number one movie of the decade of all time... This in, is cementing it. In my heart... Is the 2015 film Creed by Ryan Coogler? 
It's just the movie that the first time I watched it, I was just completely blown away and just like emotionally rocked by. And I wasn't expecting it because I had never seen a Rocky movie. I kind of like boxing movies, but I had not watched a lot of them. I just decided to watch it on a whim and I was. It hit me like into my core. It just. Michael B. Jordan's performance as Adonis Creed, the son of Apollo Creed, boxer from the original Rocky movies, and it's just like, who wants to fight for himself and strike out his own legacy and, like, escape the legacy of his father, gets help from Rocky himself, played by Sylvester Stallone, and it just becomes this incredibly emotional movie about just, like, wanting to escape your father's shadow and, like, the pressures put on you to follow in the footstep of your parents and just, like, wanting to battle out of that, finding the figures in your life that you do care about and want to fight in their name, just, like, finding personal connections in times of turmoil in your life. I think Michael B. Jordan maybe gives the leading band performance of the decade in it. I think he's astonishing. I think it's the best he has ever been in anything. He makes me cry every time at the end when they ask him, what do you think your dad would say if he were alive? And he thought he just says that he thinks he would be proud of him, like finally admitting that he does care about it because of the entire movie he's like defensive about it. Sylvester Stallone, who's not a person I have any particular fondness for it, gives a pretty heartbreaking performance in it. He is just pretty muted and pretty, like, down-to-earth and just tries to be, like, a low-down guy, and it's pretty wonderful. Tessa Thompson is in it, and she's just, like, a part that could just be, like, the kind of annoying girlfriend in a ton of other, like, major studio movies, and she turns it into this person with, like, soft in feelings and a personality who affects the story of the movie and who has her own like kind of rough way in the world it's a good movie it's very very specific it's like a good movie about philadelphia which is not like i have any particular affinity for philadelphia i don't i'm not that familiar with it but it's just like that's just to speak of how like specific to a community it feels like it's representing and I just love every single part of it, and I could watch it forever, and it makes me cry. I don't know what to say. I love Creed. Very good movie. Love, uh, yeah, Michael B. Jordan, like, and, like, its storied history of insane snubs, one of the crazier ones of, like, the Academy not nominating him for Best Actor. Yep. It is crazy. I like the needle drops, I like the music, I like some Meek Mill in a soundtrack, I like the Hail Mary drop as his way, fighting toward the way. Felicia Rashad is great in it. Yeah. Lots of good, like, bit parts by boxers who are somehow giving incredibly compelling performances, just a lot of non-professional actors. Oh, like, uh, it's sort of like a basic thing to praise, but like, the way that they filmed those sort of like one-take scenes like in the boxing ring are very technically impressive and just like speaks to Kugler's power as like a great director yeah he is a person I'm very excited to see where he goes I'm not a bit mm. I'm not a huge Black Panther guy I think it's pretty good but I think he has more great movie than him but if the best movie he makes ever makes is Creed then you know what I'll take it <laughs> 
because I love it. Yeah. Andy, what's your number one movie? <laughs> I will hear no you more. You want to hear my thoughts on Creed? Yeah. No. <laughs> That's fine. I'll spare you all my thoughts on Creed. Um, I bet I can guess Andy's number yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I have not been, it's not been telegraphed what it's at all. Be. Um, it's, yeah, a movie that's already appeared on someone else's list that features Stephen McKinley Anderson. Uh, it is, uh, 2017's, uh, Lady Bird. Um, it's, I mean, so, I think with this movie, the, the thing that we, we've already talked about a lot about what it's great last week, um, it, the, <laughs> it's an hour and 34 minutes long, and yet it, like, makes me feel like every emotion, like, known to man throughout it. Like, I laugh so much, I cry a bunch, I, I feel like... I root for every single character. I, you know, it's just, it's, I, I always, the thing that I always think about it, and I think in my most, like, recent Letterboxd review of it, it was just, like, a thing that, like, I learned when I was, like, taking acting classes in college was, like, from, just from, uh, from one of my professors. He's, like, you know, you, you, sometimes you'll just, like, encounter things in people that just, like, that make your soul vibrate. And when you do, you just have to go towards those because you know that, like, they're, there, that's like you know your your soul and your body telling you something about like about those things and and Lady Bird is just a movie that makes my soul vibrate. I just feel it's like its attitude and its um and its empathy and its uh its its uh its love for its characters and and and, and its world uh is just so per- per- pervasive to me throughout the movie. Um, and also, I mean. There's no way I'm not gonna highly rate any movie that features extended performances of, of songs from Merrily We Roll Along, and in fact includes like sort of like uh, uses Merrily We Roll Along as like a as like a dramatic foil to like the stuff that happens in the actual movie. Uh, I think Stephen McKinley Henderson's delivery of the line "They didn't understand it" is like the line of the decade. Um, mm. I think that moment is perfect and hilarious, and also so. Uh, so revealing about that character. Um, yeah, I mean, it, like, yeah, and I, w- actually, when I think about that Stephen McKinley Henderson character specifically, like, I think that's so emblematic of what that movie is, is he's got maybe, like, eight or nine minutes of screen time at the most. He's not in a lot of the movie, and yet we see so much of him. We see him in this, in, in the element of him, like, rehearsing this play we see him uh in the in the element of him after the performance of this play and then we also briefly see him in this element of where he is uh working with lady bird's mother um where he is seeking like psychological help and 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 this time and so we just sort of get this like full picture of who this character is in just such limit with such a light touch and in such limited time and i think that that sort of philosophy of like really investing each character and making each character feel full is um, is is so wonderful to see, and I and, and I just love it a lot, and I just can watch it anytime, and and just feel it elevate me. And so those are my feelings on Lady Bird. Great Col- movie, <laughs> Colin. You're number one. Huh, you don't want to give Jesse. We, nope. we just got. We're already at Cullen. I've been uh, looking at my plant. I missed what Andy's number one was. <laughs> I Let's, can't wait. Go ahead, Colin. Let's see what your number one is. <laughs> um, so my number one, sort of a kindred spirit with my number two. Uh, I gotta go with 2013's Inside Lewin Davis mm. by the Coen Brothers. Um, yeah. I love this movie so much. Uh, like I think like every element of it, I 
like you could tell me like oh you know this part is like actually bad for this reason i'd just be like oh but actually that is the perfect part because it's all perfect um (laughs) i don't know how much of it is solely based on how like dynamite the lead performance by oscar isaac is but that is like everyone's been sort of saying it i may have said it already but no question like a a performance if not the performance of the decade for me is oscar isaac and that like he's barely been in anything before i think like drive and then you know maybe like a few other small things but it's so good and like you can see like things that like other things that he does like uh in his career it's so different than everything else uh but he's just playing uh this guy who's a folk singer who uh like yeah similar to Eden he's kind of like maybe hit his peak and he's like still trying to go at like the thing that he loves to do uh but he much more than the lead character in Eden is just a guy who can't help but like get in his own way and self-sabotage in a way that I find uh depressingly relatable um but and it's this like Coen Brothers magic of like all these characters that are like specifically like characters uh that like are fun and funny and then like sometimes like you get this dramatic weight of uh oscar isaac doing this audition basically for f murray abraham and like all the songs that he sings you can see that he's like putting everything in it and there's a sort of uh the character uh used to be in a duo but uh his partner like passed away before the movie starts um not like right before but just like in the history of the movie it's before it starts and people like bring up uh they had like this single i guess that was sort of big and they bring it up all the time for him to play and he's sort of like always shying away from that sort of side of his life and trying to be his own guy and his own musician and there's this scene sort of towards the middle of the movie where he is at like a friend of his uh like a friend of um the guy he was in a band with, there's like internet theories that they're his parents, uh, this couple called the Gorfines, uh, and they're, they internet sort of like pimp theories. him. Uh, I mean, <laughs> there are, um, they sort of pimp him into doing this performance of his like famous song, and he like already like doesn't want to do it, and then uh, the sort of uh, like uh, Mrs. Gorfine starts singing with him and like harmonizing. Uh, his partner's part and he's like fully like tips and blows up at her and like there's sort of this um cyclical nature to the movie of like the way it starts is like basically the same way that it ends and uh, though like you don't like it's hard to sort of explain like um without like uh getting too far like just into like the details of the plot of the movie but uh, there's like these great scenes um, with Adam Driver <laughs> like back before he was like starring and everything he's just this like weird um, country singer who's like part of their crew basically uh, and he does like a thing that's very popular uh, it's like been gaining or not gaining traction but sort of re-entered into like the culture of him just like going like shout and he does this weird countdown they make this novelty song he and um Oscar Isaac and Justin Timberlake who's like a friend of his and there's this through line of like uh, 
Carrie Mulligan and Justin Timberlake are a couple, and he uh, may or may not have got Carrie Mulligan pregnant, so he's like trying to pay for her abortion, and then he ends up going to Chicago with Garrett Hedlund and John Goodman, and it's just sort of like uh, this guy's life for a bit, and uh, it's just I, I had sort of um, like batted around other movies that could have been on this list and I was like I gotta rewatch Inside the Moon Davis it's like a movie I love I think about it a lot watching it and I was like no question this has got to be my number one yeah yeah I I've been trying to figure out while you've been saying this if I can stand by what I'm about to say and I'm not sure that I quite can I love this movie it may also be my least favorite Coen Brothers movie this decade I'm not Ooh. sure about that. I it's a weird decade with them for me because I none of their movies from this decade make my list, even though I feel like they've had among the best decades of anyone, and it's one of their better decades too. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I maybe mean, another watch would do it for me on this one. Uh, it, it's one. I think it grows like every re uh, every rewatch. I like get more out of it. Um, yeah, I mean I've seen it a, a very, couple times, but yeah, it's very easy to watch. Also, yeah, certainly, <laughs> yeah, it's like a very comforting movie. Yeah, I, I like Inside Llewyn Davis a lot. It's it's I think I'm sort of with Jesse where it's not my. It's, well, I mean I, I would at least be very certain that it's not my favorite Coens of the decade. Uh, it's sort of, the road trip aspect sort of loses me a little bit. I, I'm I'm not oh. quite sure why. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it's a really good movie, and especially like I think the first like half is like impeccable and and wonderfully done, and Oscar Isaac was terrific in yeah. it. I uh, he plays. Uh, I'm completely with Colin. This is by far my favorite Cohen of the decade, and it was a near miss for this list. I love it immensely. Oscar Isaac is daddy. Uh, perfect awesome. movie. Yeah, he uh, he's great at just playing like an exasperated guy who can't catch a break. Yeah, but then also like being an asshole that you kind of have to root against. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the music is... Yeah, the I music mean, like, Maybe it's a corny it's take, but the music's so good. Yeah, I'll mention briefly that it is very loosely based on... Uh, Dave Van Ronk, who had an album called Inside Dave Van Ronk, and a lot of songs that are in the movie are songs that Dave Van Ronk would play. I think uh, this is not my issue with the movie, but an issue some people have the mo- with the movie is just that like Dave Van Ronk was, by all accounts, like a really great guy. Like my dad actually met him a few times uh, when he was living in New York in the nineties. Uh, so, like, I know, like, one time I, uh, I went to, uh, the kind of folk music place, uh, to get some guitar strings near me, and the movie came up, and they were like, oh, that movie did Dave Van Ronk so wrong. Uh, but yeah, I do really like Dave Van Ronk. I would recommend listening to, uh, some of his albums. I know it's come up recently, I saw it come up on recently on Twitter that uh, a lot of the soundtrack to Inside Lewin Davis is not available on Spotify, but uh, Dave Van Ronk's music all is, and he is great. Yeah. 
And, uh, but yeah, that's not to say I don't love this movie. It's a, it's a great one. I just like it a lot. <laughs> good pick, Colin. Yeah, good pick. I agree. Yes, good pick. On to... Alright, Jesse. You said you, <laughs> See, you, you promised fireworks. On. <laughs> yeah, I promised fireworks. So, uh... Oh, interesting. Wait for the plane? Yeah, let's wait for the plane. <laughs> the tension. It's killing me. I know, it's gonna be so good. <laughs> the hot pink air force coming by. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I'm not hearing the plate anymore, so I'm going to go ahead. Uh, interestingly, before I kind of do my little introduction, uh, I just found out that this has a cast member in common with uh, my previous movie, which I had forgotten about, but that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, so in 2014, I saw a movie called Gone Girl. That movie is not my number one of the decade, though I like it quite a lot. But I was a big fan of a particular performance in that movie, and I heard that that actress was in some TV show, and uh, I was like, oh, maybe I should watch that, and oh, uh, no. I never did. <laughs> uh, but then, as that uh, TV show was coming to an end... I was hearing some really great things. I think my brother was watching it. Uh, I continued to be a really big fan of that actress. I think at that same time, she was doing another television show. And so I started watching The Leftovers, the best film object of the decade. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Best uh, film object. This Best fucking film object move. of the decade. Uh, I can't believe you only thought that would make Andy upset. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, one doesn't even have a single director like the like Twin Peaks does or whatever. Like, come on, this is indefensible. So, so Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada at all's The Leftovers. <laughs> Uh, starring Justin Theroux, Christopher Eccleston, Amy Brenneman, Chris Silka, Margaret Qualley, Liv Tyler, and Dowd. Kevin Carroll is the uh, cast member in common. Uh, he plays another one of the teachers in Margaret, which I'd forgotten. Uh, Have you thought LaFleur was long? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh... But yeah, in, in preparation for this, the episode, the, which I almost considered just picking an episode, and then maybe that would have made everyone a little less angry, uh, uh, but the episode that I watched in preparation for this was uh, International Assassin, episode 8 of season 2, which is weird because it does not start, my favorite actress who is in this show, Carrie Coon, is not in that episode, nor is most of the rest of the cast, uh, but it stars Justin Thoreau, who in the previous episode has died, and he wakes up in a bathtub, and he becomes an international assassin and is trying to uh, very 
literally expunge the demon from his head who has been Patty Levin, played by Anne Dowd, who's been, he, towards the end of season one, he murders her. She's the sort of leader of a cult that you find out at the end of episode, or maybe in the middle of season one, I can't remember exactly, that his wife had joined after... What happens at the beginning of the show is that 2% of the population just disappears inexplicably. Uh, there's a great scene that introduces the show in which you just see that happen uh, from the point of view of characters that you don't ever meet again. But so he, at the, towards the end of season one, he kills Patty, and then throughout season two, her ghost or something is kind of following him. And so he, you know, there's lots of ways to interpret what happens in this episode, but he sort of retreats into his head to kill her, basically. He is given a choice of profession. One of them is, uh, is police officer, which is what he does in the first season, uh, but he picks a, a suit out of the closet, and he becomes this international assassin. He, uh, the man who helped him to die, uh, played by Stephen Williams, who's really wonderful in this episode. He's, uh, he, 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 like, gives him this kind of poison drink, basically, and he shows up in this hotel where Kevin Garvey, played by Justin Thoreau, is. And uh, he's doing this really wonderful performance where, like, it's unclear if he's playing the same character or not. It's unclear to what extent he knows what's going on. And he's, like, pulling this performance off really wonderfully. Uh, I don't need to talk about the whole episode, but there's there's a lot of really wonderful performances in this episode, even though it doesn't feature the main most of the main cast other than Thoreau and Dowd. Uh, Scott Glenn shows up in a recurring role as uh, um, Kevin, Kevin, Garney C Kevin Garvey Sr., just Thoreau's father. The actress who plays eventually a younger version of Patty Levin uh, is Darby Camp, who I think she also is really excellent in this. She actually has blown up a little bit. I was looking her up last night, and she's uh, the younger of uh, Reese Witherspoon's daughters in Big Little Lies, and she's also going to play Emily Elizabeth in Clifford, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Uh, and then Bill Camp also makes his first Leftovers appearance in this episode. Uh, and he's really great as this kind of, you don't know what he's doing. But yeah. I adore this episode. It upends what this what this TV show can be, what what a, what narrative can do, and this this show uh, means more to me than anything else that has happened this decade. I didn't know TV shows were up for grabs. Yeah, I would just like to apologize to our audience uh, on, on behalf. I just. I'm sorry we misled you in this way, um, and I really hope that we can uh, re-earn your trust in the future. Um, Jesse, you're a charlatan and a fool. Mm. He okay. disconnected. <laughs> I, was 
I've just been, uh... That being said, The Leftovers is great, and I... And everyone should watch yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and I Watchmen, heard... the other Lindelof this show, show this decade, also great. Lost is a masterpiece, though. Yeah, I need to finish Lost someday. Maybe now is the time to do it. I got through, like, a little more than season one. I get the impression that it gets weirder more in the way that I... more of what I like about Lindelof as it goes on. Yeah. Lost rules. Watchmen rules. Have not watched The Leftovers. Anyway, oh, man. So. Great. Uh, Not a movie, but it's yeah. great. It's yeah, Jesse did a good job object. talking about one episode. Is it a film object? I could have put so many Vine comps on my list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, there are Vine comps that have brought me more joy than a lot of the uh, movies on my list. <laughs> anyway, that has been our top ten movies of the decade. Well, <laughs> I said um, no one wanted to go after. No one was gonna want to go after me. Yeah, uh, really. Uh, do we mention or just honorable mentions? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, Succession season one and two. Um, <laughs> halt and Catch Fire, one of the best. The Chris Gethard show. <laughs> Enough of this. <laughs> Jesse's the king of hating TV. I can't believe he did this. <laughs> I know. Um, um, all right. So, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, um, we can start with Amelia. Do you, do you have some honorable mentions you want to? As I mentioned before we started recording, I have lost my list of movies, but I got some honorable, <laughs> honorable mentions for you. 21 Jump Street, my favorite comedy of the decade. I find it hilarious. I watch it a lot. Uh... Kelly Reichardt's movies, in particular, yeah. Night Moon mm. is the one mm-hmm. I like the most, which I know is a little controversial. I know it's a yeah. lot of people's least favorite of hers of the decade now that people don't like it, but I really like that movie. Carlos the Asayas, uh, fucking, uh, Cause of Sils Maria, also the Asayas. Love those two movies. And yeah, those are, that's about it for me. There's a lot of movies I like. Those are the ones that are where I seriously considered putting in and did not. Andy, you got any honorable mentions? I do. Yeah, I'm gonna limit my honor. I have like a list of thirty that I was sort of pulling my shorter list from. I'm just gonna list everything that uh, was at one point on my list, uh, but then uh, in the subsequent edit did not make it. Um, a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood I almost put on there is my favorite movie last year. I sub. Uh, Can you ever forgive me in place of it? Just because it was a hell of a that we hadn't talked about, and I loved that one. Uh, just about about the same. Um, uh, uh, Francis Ha was on some iterations of this list, and then I was like, I can't get, do like three movies that are Greta Gerwig based. That's ridiculous. Um, uh, uh, my Coens that I had on at one point was Hail Caesar, um, which I yeah, think is just I a lot of that. fun. I and, rewatched um, that has, recently. Yeah, uh, that that movie is like the way that that movie is every kind of movie uh, is. I love a lot. Um, um, if Beale Street could talk, hmm? I just wanted to say real quickly that speaking of Greta Gerwig, I almost put also put uh, Mistress America on it because that movie oh, yeah. fucking rules and rules. yeah, that's by yeah, Mistress America is the long, best long Greta Gerwig script. Yeah, um, uh, if Beale Street could talk was on was on my list at some point. I'm glad Emilio put it on his so that we could talk about it more at length. Yes. And then um, uh, I also had La La Land uh, on my list at, at various points because I think that movie is just swell. Yeah. Um, 
So Andy had a list of 30, I had a list of 50. Um, I'll try and not pick uh, a lot. Uh, Wind Rises was one that was very much going to be on my 10. Um, Andy said that Moana was uh, his favorite animated movie of the decade. Mine is no question, The Wind Rises. Um, we got... Uh, I left off um some movies that we talked about uh already that's why american honey wasn't on my list and uh no 2019 movies made it on uh, uncut gems little women once upon a time in hollywood all could have been on there um some that like we haven't talked about at all uh anna karenina from 2012 anna karenina, um, anna karenina rules uh burning from 2018 uh calling by your name from 2017 columbus as well from the same year um also from 2018 uh Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace, a perfect movie. <laughs> um not perfect enough for your list that, apparently. Hey. It's so many movies. Um some that haven't really been uh, I feel like don't get their due. Uh 2014 uh Love is Strange, the Iris Axe movie. Really great. Uh also from 2014 uh, Bennett Miller's Foxcatcher. <laughs> Um, yeah, and Andy ended his with uh, La La Land. Oh, and mine with First Man, the best Damien Chazelle movie. All right, uh, a couple movies that were on my list very much, but I left off just because we've talked about them a bit or a fair amount. Uh, Patterson, which I picked as my Palme d'Or when we did our draft of the 2016 Cannes Film Festival. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which we talk about a lot in our 2019 episode. Uh, La Flore, which I just, I already had extraordinary stories. I wasn't going to do both of them. I used that excuse to talk about La Flore anyway. Uh, a couple other, some other directors that I already had a movie, but their other movies were close. Uh, Melancholia is another Lars von Trier movie that I love that's very close to being on my list. Manchester by the Sea, another Kenneth Lonergan I love. Uh, the Master is another Paul Thomas Anderson I love, as well as Phantom Thread, which I was glad Cullen mentioned. Uh, Kylie Blues is another one that was close to being on my list that Emilio mentioned. And then If Beale Street Could Talk, also close. Uh, just a few more I'll rattle off. First Reformed, Interstellar, Under the Silver Lake. Uh, yeah. That feels like a good um, number of movies to name. One I forgot to mention that is also like very, very good and was tough to leave off my list was uh, James Gray's Lost City of Z, um, a movie that I have a lot of love for. Yeah, uh, I remembered that. Yeah, same as the other people. We have, ta- we have talked about Julieta before on the 2016 Cannes episode, so I didn't include it. That's maybe... One of my favorite, maybe my favorite movie of the decade that I didn't talk about here. Same with Uncut Gems on the 19 episode and uh, the movie I adore and I did not include because we have already mm. spoken. You must not really love it that much then, huh? I had an excuse, sir. When did we talk Neither about of you. No Trace? Yeah, I guess I guess everyone here just admit, is finally admitting that Uncut Gems is just pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's the official can I kick it position from now on. Wrong. Get out of here. Go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> do not pass go alright we've hit two hours and two minutes yeah. again uh, do we have any do we want to offer a, like a little preview of next week so that like maybe people, people want to 
Sure. Do some prep work I like think us. we I think we mentioned this before we uh ended uh before we started this two part little say episode. Uh I think I mentioned that what we're doing after that for most of our episodes next month and into May is we're gonna be discussing the films of the two thousand nine Cannes Film Festival. And we will be reforming ourselves as a jury to award films from competition on certain regard and directors fortnight we might use uh some of those intermediate episodes we're gonna do those on a schedule of every other week and then those intermediate episodes we might talk a little bit about some of the other sections, the Out of Competition, the Can Classics. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be our theme for the month of April and the first week of May. Yeah. yeah. So next sure. week, we, we have selected, um, uh, what is it, 16 or 12? 12, 12 movies, I yeah. believe. Maybe, yeah, yeah 12. That, 12. That were all movies. in front of me. Yeah, that we will have all seen those 12. So we're not going to... We're not going to quite cover everything just because that's a big list of stuff to watch, but we'll have plenty of options, and we will, to the extent that we've seen them, we'll talk a little bit about the other movies, too. And uh, I know we we left the Palm d'Or winner, the White Ribbon, off of our list, uh, I guess due to lack of interest. No one, no one cares about Michael Haneke. Well... I will say uh, maybe a preview. Uh, there is bound to be some arguments on that episode. I think so. Yeah. Will this be fi- the episode that finally cancels me? It certainly has a high potential for that. I mean, unless you try and shoehorn a TV show in. Uh, <laughs> I don't think this is the year that... I don't even know if they showed the first Top of the Lake, but I think that's a little later. I think the only shows they've shown are Top of the Lake one, and yeah. Twin Peaks. The competition. Anyway. That's probably not true. They've probably shown some other stuff that just has been reclaimed as movies. Sure. Um, I yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't think anyone's trying to reclaim the entire series of the leftovers as a movie. No, not <laughs> either. I just think it is important to mention. You just redefined what list we were doing. <laughs> Uh, anyway, anyway, um, no respect. <laughs> so, well, maybe we'll we'll post the list on our Twitter of the movies that we're considering. So, if you want to like yes. catch a couple of them, uh, we will uh, we'll point you to them. Um, or on our letterbox. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can uh, let's, post let's them on our letterbox, and then we'll post a link to that on our Twitter. How's that sound? Bing, sure. Bang, so, um, yeah, um, Jesse, what what is our Twitter and our letterbox? Our Twitter is at Can I Kick It. C-A-N-N-E-S, like the festival, like the name of this podcast. Uh, our our letterboxed is, can I kick it odd because pod didn't fit? We're going to have to say that every single episode <laughs> if we want to plug our letterboxed. And then you can find me at J.P. Glick Weber on Twitter, letterboxed. J-P-G-L-I-C-K-W-E-B-B-E-R. Uh, I'm Andy Gramugo. You can find me on all social media platforms at A-N-D-Y-T-G-E-R-M, Andy T-Germ. Always happy to gain a new follower. 
and have someone ask me about movies. Emilio. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Emilio and Diaz, E-M-I-L-I-O-A-N-D-D-I-A-Z. You can follow me there. You can follow me on Letterboxd at I Laugh Alone. You should do that. Colin. I'm on all social media at Clatchley, C-L-A-T-C-H-L-E-Y. Uh, I don't know there's any predictions this week. <laughs> Will can actually happen? No. No. I'll maintain. <laughs> and All right. I, 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 no, it's not going to happen. It, there will there will not be a can in the year 2020, is my prediction. The real question wow. is, will we get a lineup to talk about? That, I'm very curious, because that might change our April schedule around a little bit if they still want to announce their lineup on April 16th. Yeah, we'll see. We are far too long, so let's call Jesse say the thing. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go ahead and release our audience. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.